Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by our show partners with the online cycling platform that makes online training fun here for the much heralded stage. Listen, little sidebar, we were going to go to the Grand Depart in Denmark, but we didn't. We pulled the plug on it. We Hopefully, we're going to Paris. But for this stage, for example, I was going to go and do a whole video about how the title was going to be The Bridge That Could Change the Tour de France. That's what this stage was billed as. Yeah, gee, I was going to go a week early. Um, I'm pretty glad I didn't. From Roskilde to Nyborg, 202Ks, and they go over the Great Belt Bridge, 18 kilometers long. This bridge, very exposed, obviously. And it it was worth hyping up this stage in November or October when we did the Tour de France route reveal reaction because you don't know the wind direction. But the prevailing wind direction, despite... Yeah, and this is what people don't want to like. They're like, no, we want echelons, but it's like it's a direct headwind, <laughs> cross headwind, hard on the bridge, like strong headwinds. So the wind was not looking favorable for the stage uh, at all. And before we get into the B&B disaster and the KOM battle, which I really loved that early KOM battle, I'll, another word in our show partners with the online cycling platform that whether you're a world tour pro like Cavendish, Thomas or Vanderpool or just starting out cycling, you can train in a fun way indoors, maybe even when you're watching the Tour de France across nine worlds, real and fantasy, including a French world, you can hop on social rides. So make sure if you're not on Zwift yet, head to Zwift.com for your free seven-day trial. No better time than the Tour de France to check it out. But at a neutral, Benji, Zero fight for the break. Stage one, first road stage of the Tour de France. Sorry, no fight. I think there's just nervousness in the peloton that stuff could happen on this stage. And because of that, the tempo in the peloton also increases a bit. People are thinking, okay, if I go in the breakaway, the peloton will be nervous as well. So the gaps won't be that large in the first place. But eventually, we did have a breakaway of four. And that included two BNB riders, Roland and Barf, and also two Scandinavians, Bistrum and Magnus Kort Nielsen. And if you see those four riders and you see what gives uh, points on this parkour, we've got two k one points in that intermediate sprint. I'm thinking Magnus scored intermediate sprint points. Okay, that's pretty good for him. And he could also take the KOM jersey because Roland and Barf will try and go for it. But there's no way they're beating Magnus scored in a sprint, even uphill, on a, on those KOM yeah. points. So Magnus scored was basically cleaning that. He took the first one ahead of Bistrum. And that was interesting because uh, they dropped BNB. And like, did you pretty expect funny. them to continue? <laughs> So what had been happening was the Peloton had been keeping it pretty tight. Magnus Court is not a guy. He's smart. He's professional, one of the best brake guys in the world. He doesn't get into a break and with four hours left says to them, let's build up a buffer of seven minutes because that's pointless spending that energy. He likes to keep it tight. And he just was not happy with the BNB guys either sitting on or pulling too hard. They had two guys in the break, Roland and Barthes. It was pretty obvious to me that it should be Roland leading out on the climb for Barthes to go for the sprint. They did the other way around. So Court was not happy with them. They were anchors, passengers, and he was just pissed off with them, I think. So he and Bistrom just continued afterwards. And it was pretty embarrassing for BNB. They just sitting in no man's land, unable to catch back. I will say though, like no Warren Bagi Benji. Like remember the I did a video on this, the Perez shelling battle. A lot of interest in week one Tour de France. KOM on offer for you know you get to go on the podium and no Total, no FDJ, no Arkea, no Azure Desert Citroen. Now 
Ashes are an FTJ, I get it, whatever. But yeah, Schelling and Perez and Okofidis, they had a good battle last year. I'm surprised that Kofidis didn't think they could have one rider to go in this break. Uh, maybe they got blocked up. But anyway, that was the action. Court takes all the sprint and goes into KOM and... Celebrates. Think, yeah, he put his hands up over the, <laughs> over the last one. But to be honest, nothing interesting happening happened really at all for the next 100 kilometers. Even at 50Ks, they were just assuming position at the front. We saw Ineos and Jumbo Visma moving to the front. And I think this is the big advantage Pagacha has, Benji. He, A, he doesn't need a team, not that he has a choice. They can't do a train on either side. But B, he can do what Roglic can't do. He can sit about a third of the way, 25% deep into the pack in the middle, and you get this perfect draft in that pocket, whereas Roglic and Jonas or Ineos, they've got one shoulder exposed all day. So... That's just a huge advantage he has, and he's able to, I think, can come to important moments fresher. But was there anything else really before the bridge? There was one crash with Tushfeld? Yeah, there was a, a small crash, but nothing too crazy there. But one thing we do have to mention is that we've got the intermediate sprint, and that's an interesting one because we know that the green jersey is uh, an interesting concept when it comes to Jumbo Visma trying to get it with Wout van Aden. I was curious to see who's actually going to go for the intermediate sprint, who's interested in green and so forth. And I found some pretty surprising remarks when it comes to that, because we saw that some teams were moving forward. Magnus scored in the breakaway already, first of all, not taking the full points. Let's bish to him win, which I was surprised by, because I think my hot take when we had our root reaction to the Tour de France, like way back, like eight months ago or something, was Magnus scored should go for green. And he clearly didn't seem very interested, even though he still took the. Uh, second spot there but when it comes to the peloton it looked like Laporte was setting up Caleb uh, no not Caleb Ewan Wout van Aert Caleb Ewan was there as well we had uh the likes of Peter Sagan being set up by his team and Fabio Jakobsen being there but it looked like Jakobsen was a top rider that was just trying to take the leftover points without actually sprinting for it completely no no Merku lost actually, the wheel um, oh okay okay Merku that explains ah that's a bummer for him then but on the other hand, we did see that Wout van Aert, Ewan and Sagan were fighting for it completely. In the end, Caleb Ewan takes it. 15 points, Wout van Aert 13 and Sagan 11. And my biggest surprises there are, first of all, seeing Ewan go for the green jersey was a big surprise for me in the first place. And secondly, the fact that we see no Peterson, no Philipson, no Van der Poel, no Matthews. Like, Peterson's the biggest one for me. Yeah, like, oh, and Philipson. Like, I mean... Philipson climbs all right on punchy hills, like and Arenberg, he might take points, but yeah, Pedersen as well. I can't believe it. They're, Sagan's the biggest competitor because where I'm personally writing off Fabio to take enough points with all the sort of intermediate stages um, and maybe even OTL risk in the Alps. But yeah, I'm very, very surprised there was no one. Like they're, it, they're making it very, very easy for Wout. And listen, like we both thought he'd walk it. Not like this. And as you said, Benji, the fact that Ewan's going for the intermediate when surely just getting a stage is the main... And it's not like these guys can't recover um, after this intermediate sprint. Maybe he just wanted to test the legs. But yeah, one thing I did notice was Merku... I know Laporte's probably better than Merku right now, Benji, as a last man. Like, I could Mm. be wrong in the next few stages, but... Laporte was sure. really, really good, and he took points away. He should have kept sprinting, actually. But Mercury lost the wheel. I don't know. 
Were were you surprised Fabio went for it too? I low key surprised, I would say. Although I feel like he's got a bigger chance when it comes to taking more stage and getting closer over the next couple of. uh, weeks than a Caleb Yoon has. So I was more surprised by Caleb Yoon for some reason, even though Jakobsen is a similar pure sprinter. So I guess surprised by both. But when it comes to Laporte versus Merku, we'll talk about that again after the uh, actual sprint, because I might have some remarks towards Laporte when it comes to the final sprint, for example. But the stage continued, and we knew that after that, it was just a nervous peloton all the way to the bridge, the big bridge that everybody was talking about. Echelons could happen on the bridge, but Echelons didn't seem to occur, but Iran did have a, it seemed like a puncture when the bridge started, so he was already caught behind. And then we saw a crash on the uh, on the first part of the bridge, right? Including a, a pretty uh, important rider. I think he might have crashed twice, Uran, in the Tushfeld crash. Oh, he okay. definitely was caught up. And he then Lampard goes down in the yellow jersey. He was deep in the peloton. And yeah, like that's the yellow jersey. The, the benefit for him was... Headwind, strong headwind. Everyone gets onto this bridge. They turn onto it, fan across. Looks like a little bit of left to right. We see Luke Rowe go to the far right side. Everyone's rubbing their hands like, oh, maybe, maybe. But then after the Lampard crash, we quickly re- quickly realized that it's just not worth it. It was like the UAE stage, Benji, where Philipson walked next to his bike. The thing is, when you have cross tail on these stages, on these exposed sections, it can be carnage. If you have direct headwind, it turns into the most boring <laughs> like 20 minutes you'll ever see. And they were doing 33 k's an hour over the bridge just about. And we were just waiting for this bridge to end. And I saw the commissaires getting a little bit angry or Lampard getting angry at them. I think he was sheltering a little bit too much. They're telling him to get out from behind the De Koenig car. Uran, I assume, came back, but they didn't drop Biska back straight away. They obviously want him to do well in GC, but... I guess anything from it, there's no new information here, Benji. Yumbo Visma, I think, were a little bit Ineos are better than Yumbo Visma when it comes at this at this moment. When it comes to the pivotal moment, turning onto the mm-hmm. bridge, Ineos are there with yep. Rowe, with Van Baal, with Ganna, with Thomas, and at that moment, Yumbo actually disappeared from the front a little bit. That's the only yep. th- real information we got from the bridge. Yep. I agree when it comes to that, and it's a bit surprising to see that because you would say that, oh, Yumbo has the ruler squad to actually get that position right, but I felt like they were also kind of divided on two sides of the road. There were some riders on the left-ish side, while there were most of the riders on the right top side of the peloton, from the helicopter angle, of course, and it was indeed Ineos that was way more safely towards the front of that thing, but yeah, the bridge uh, was the anticlimactic one based on at least the weather, I would dare to say. Were there other things on the bridge that you saw and would like to know, Don? I mean, Pog just has to pretty much do it himself. Uh, or he had Björk or Soler. I think he got a little bit... He was fortunate today, the wind direction for him. And similarly for Vlasov, Vlasov was doing a fair bit. As they enter the bridge, if you go and watch, Vlasov moves up the front himself. Now, I said... They need another ruler for Vlasov. And people said, oh, they got plenty of rulers. They got Pollard. They got Van Poppel and stuff. Like, eh. Those guys are better classics riders, but for the job of get your GC rider on your ass and put him in the right spot, that's a different sort of job. That Anyway, that's just something to note. But Vlasov, I think you had a mechanical as well. Anyway, 
We go into the sprint. Nothing's really happened on the bridge at all. Very anticlimactic, as Benji said. We see Seneschal being used four and a half Ks to go. Mm. I thought he was going to be second last man, and I don't think he's in great shape because his he was done with his pull very quickly, or maybe he was just doing it into a headwind. We've seen B&B at the front. We've seen Thibaut Pino pulling, so <laughs> I don't know why they brought Duchesne. And I think there was a Kung Guerrero incident where Kung put his hand on Guerrero's helmet, we think, on EF. We'll see if he gets anything sanctions come out of that. And, yeah, Pino the ruler <laughs> is pulling. And, yeah, it's a bit of... Bit of chaos gets into a twisty finish. They come off the bridge in the last fifteen hundred meters. We see Laporte piloting uh Van Art on the right hand side, as Turnison did for him last year. We see Lampart's actually almost second last man, but I couldn't see Merku anywhere, and they refused to show an extended heli shot afterwards. I didn't really see too much of Merku. We see Pedersen. He's got one man in front of him, but it's a headwind sprint. Sagan is fighting everybody. Intermarche's lead out man nearly crashes. The Lotto Sudal train when he pulls off to the left-hand side. Super nervous. Ewan's getting washing machine back. And eventually Pedersen, with Laporte about to start his lead out on the right, but he got boxed. At the same time, Jumbo Visma were timing their last man. Pedersen launches his sprint into a headwind with 300, 325 to go. Wout van on the wheel, takes the inside left-hand line. Sagan's fighting Jakobsen for Wout's wheel, and Jakobsen just comes out of, finally gets clear air and five, six pedal strokes, puts Wout to bed and nails him for second. So Fabio, too fast, wins ahead of Van Aert, Pedersen, Van Poppel fourth, Philipsen fifth, Sagan sixth, Jeremy Lecoq, who opened up the TT yesterday, seventh, Groenewegen, the lead out still an issue. Eighth, Mozzato, ninth, Hofstede, tenth, Ewan all the way down in 13th. So Lefebvre and Quickstep vindicated Benji two in a row. Yeah, certainly a big win for Jakobsen. His first victory after coming back uh, from that big injury in the Tour de France, his first Tour de France. So it was obviously going to be his first victory if he won here. It's crazy to think back how far this man has come. And to see him gradually come back from going to 1.1 Belgian Mickey Mouse races to going to the Vuelta, beating people there like it's crazy last year, and now already being the main sprinter for Quick Step at the Tour de France instead of Cavendish, and taking this victory home, I think it. Uh, I think some British fans will probably still be salty about that, but they did it. They pulled off a salty. sprint win. <laughs> Cav would have won come from on. that position, man. He would have won. So this actually <laughs> proves Cavendish should have gone to the tour. So actually, Quickstep no, got no, it no, all no, wrong. No, 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 no. Cavendish no. would never have been able to fight off Sagan in I the agree, way that Jakobsen did. Because <laughs> yeah. Jakobsen put him in his fucking place. I tell you what. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sagan like, tried to move him. In all honesty, Sagan goes towards Jakobsen. Basically, Sagan's in the wheel of Von Aert with Jakobsen on the left of him, so there's no gap for Sagan to go through. So what does he decide to do? He decides to basically deviate, if we can call it deviate, just moves to the left into Jakobsen to try and push Jakobsen to the left side. From the helicopter angle, we can clearly see that. And then they basically start fighting for that position that was initially already Jakobsen's. And the only reason that they're fighting is because Sagan's the one pushing up against Jakobsen. I see people online all saying that if you punish Sagan for this, you should also punish Jakobsen, but I see Jakobsen only defending the position he's in. I mean, I'm not sure he was right on the wheel, but I think it was just a fight for the wheel. I, of all the things Sagan's ah. done in a sprint, 
this is way I think down. that's straight up lunacy move. Ah. <laughs> no mate. way. What? Coming out he of the wheel? He could have crashed half the, the group, mate. Nah. If maybe Jakobsen yields the wheel as he moves across, like shoulder to shoulder, I don't think this is the worst thing I've ever seen in a sprint, to be honest. Um, as I think it's far worse than anything I've seen all year. All, also stuff that has been DQ'd, by the way. I don't know about that. I think <laughs> I think there's been worse stuff this year from guys elbowing each other or whatever. But yeah, I'll have a look. I'll have a look. Maybe I need to look again. Uh, but anyway, we said yesterday the time gap to Lampart and the TT could have been a problem for Van Aert. Will he proves that wrong? It's not a problem. He takes the six bonus seconds and comes second <laughs> and takes the yellow jersey off Eve Lampart by a second. So not the perfect opening for Yumbo, but wow, it's got a, a lovely little green jersey uh, points total already. He's gone to the yellow jersey. Two second places. Would you have it any other way? And Jonas and Roglic haven't crashed. So that's that's pretty perfect. good. Like, obviously, Wout comes out of the stage saying, oh, damn, I was so close to winning. But I think if he looks back at the stage today, seeing that he's got reduced competition when it comes to green because they clearly are not going for it at the intermediate sprint, like a Peterson and so forth. And then the final sprint getting second, I think it's roughly an ideal scenario. I don't think Wout van Aert came to this Grand Tour thinking he was going to win the flat sprints throughout, I would guess. No, I thought he would average like fifth to seventh in the bunch sprints. And mm-hmm. to come second today, it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, Laporte, I think, did a really good job. And he, as I said, he was boxed in a little bit. And I think he was about, actually yeah. about to start his lead out when Pedersen kicked. But tomorrow from Vielle, I don't know why I've made it Eastern Viola. European. Viola, okay. Just, I've struggled every time with that one. To Sonderborg, 182Ks long. It's... Again, there's three, four little climbs. I do wonder what's Court got. He's got three, so I think he just needs to take one and then he's got the KOM locked up uh, for another day. It should be another sprint. Not sure of the wind direction, and that'll mark the end of the Danish Grand Depart. I'm now one of – I had wow, he came second yesterday. I'm on fire uh, with my predictions. Jakobsen today, you just pick the favorite Benji. Sometimes they win. Um, unbelievable prediction skills. But <laughs> who have you got for tomorrow? I, I have a really hard time. Uh, oh, we'll go back to the pop last 3K crash. I forgot to mention that. We'll go back to that. But finishing the preview of tomorrow's stage. I have a hard time saying that Dylan and Ewan are going to just get it right overnight. Like yep. they, they, can't, what, they can't fix it. Like there's no the trains are not working, or even they're if they're just doing a pilot, it's not working. I agree with that. It really depends on how technical that final is going to be tomorrow. And from what I can tell, it's not the most technical finish that is out there. But if we consider what they did today and the way they've been prepping the season so far, I feel like Grunewagen winning sprints in the likes of uh what was it? the first uh, sand tour in February that he did great at. Saudi Arabia? Saudi yeah, tour. Yeah, Saudi tour. Yeah. Uh, actually, like winning a sprint there. Race. Loki gra- It like, was actually the sprint really good sprint trains race. are irrelevant for the Tour de France, though, because it's oh, much yeah, easier to get your sprint train in a good position in that race than it is in this Tour de France, where chaos ensues in the final kilometers, as we have seen today. So I feel like preparing your sprint train for these... Perfect conditions will never work out the way it is 
going to play out because it's going to play out very chaotic every single time and we see that today once again you and not being in the most competitive position same for Grunewagen and then you get a situation like this like Gellibuen did like stop sprinting with like 30 meters to go so that also shows that green is not entirely on his mind because otherwise he would probably keep sprinting for the green jersey but just in total I um I don't know. It's difficult to see them get it right in the same way that it was difficult to see Gaviria get it right at the Giro, for example. And I am leaning towards Philipson and Jakobsen once again because they're the two best sprinters in this race that can position themselves properly. I mean, Philipson today, from Alpes and Phoenix, Benji, i got to say they had a shocker today, Alpeson. Yeah. They didn't put a rider forward. As I said, I was joking yesterday, sort of tongue-in-cheek, Regarding, I was like, just wait to see which teams offer rider to pace. It was Bike Exchange, Lotto, uh, De Koenig. Uh, no, sorry. Alperson and now De Koenig. It was Quickstep, not De, not Alperson, De Koenig. That's what their name is now. I said, you know, they brought 680 kilo guys and they won't offer a guy. And they didn't. And then that's fine. People won't like you for it. But you, for your own benefit, you better have a good lead out in the final. You better string that out. And no, Rickard, they were... Yeah, they were nowhere the Alperson train. So not a great day for them, despite conserving in the wheels for a lot of the day. Uh, but we should go back just under the three-kilometer banner. Yumbo uh, Visma did a really good job. Same with Ineos. Uh, not same with Ineos, I lied. Yumbo Visma did a good job keeping uh, Rog and Jonas safe. But just after the three-kilometer to go banner, Seneschal, who'd finished a pool, who'd done it early, he crashed into the barrier. He moved into the barrier. I think the peloton fanned right to left. And the left side got squeezed. Seneschal crashed. Hogg rode into the barrier. He like he like squeezed up against the barrier. Didn't crash, but I think they had the extended feet. He might have ridden over them and flattered. He rode into the finish with two flats, but he was actually in front of the crash. And a UAE rider went down, maybe Staker Langen, and apparently according to Ineos Twitter, Ghana and Martinez went down in the crash. We'll see how banged up they are. Hogg was shaking his head a little bit, but gets given uh, the same time one would think, although there were kind of splits all over the place. So yeah, we assume he's on the same time. But I guess that happens on the other side of the 3K banner, Benji, and it could because Bjergen, Steger, yep. Langen can't do it and Pog's in trouble. Yes, yeah, certainly. Langen was also involved in the earlier crash, so him probably not being there at full force either at that point. So... It's uh, a non-ideal situation, definitely not in the right position when that crash occurs, getting lucky that it's just behind them, basically. I don't know, but, like, how does the situation happen that Bogdan was not at the front? Because if he's ahead of that crash, how did he get behind? I'm a bit confused on that. Well, he was in front of the crash and then rode into the barrier, so either he's flattered there or yeah. he's actually slowed down from bad positioning, been caught behind a split, and then they let the air out of his tyres to make sure the old... <laughs> well, the Hindley do that on the... Was it stage 15 or the sprint stage yeah. in the Giro when he just suddenly was off the back? Um, <laughs> three Ks to go. No, I'm kidding, sort of. Um, yeah, I don't know, Benji. I don't know. I hate the three-kilometre rule. I despise it. Like, it's my least favorite rule in cycling. I'm not sure it does anything for safety, and it can create a lot of bullshit too. So, 
not a fan of it. But yeah, he gets given the same time. And I agree. I'll have to watch it back, but I think he was pretty sure in front of the crash. Um, but flattered. So hmm. we'll see. Pedersen flattered too. So watch out for Trek and UAE Flat City. I think McNulty flattered too as well. Um, so they're on the same tires, I believe. Just anecdotal evidence, of course. But yeah, that's all from today. We should give our predictions for tomorrow. I'm going with Jakobsen two in a row, Benji. I'm going to go for Philipson then. So we have a bit of a head to head here because otherwise we'll be boring, eh? Well, for Jakobsen. Exactly. So Philipson. I don't think Wout's quick enough. If Jakobsen doesn't get yeah. boxed, Jakobsen's too fast for Wout. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Philipsen we'll too, s- in my opinion. Like, if they're in his wheel, yeah. Wout should on paper be beaten by those two. Yep, I agree. And probably you and two is sort of the intermediate. Same thing happened there, but that's very, very unlikely as it's going. So, end of the Grand Depart tomorrow, then the transition or travel day on Monday. So, hopefully it's a cracking stage. Uh, we haven't heard anything about disqualifications or time gaps or anything. So, pretty much just the sprint. Uran made it back. Lampard loses yellow, but not because of the crash. And uh, yeah, that's all from today. Thanks for listening as always, and we'll see you with tomorrow's recap. Ciao.